Go to James chapter 4. Been a couple of weeks since we've been in this book, so I want to read verse 10 to you again because that's where we stopped last time we were together. So James chapter 4, verse 10. That verse says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. God places a high value on humility. God honors humility in his people. And the reason for that is because the first rebellion in the world that took place and the first sin in the world that took place both occurred because of pride. That's why they happened. And every sin that a person has committed since that first fall has pride at the root of it. Every sin I commit is because of pride. I think I know better than God. I make my plan more important than God's plan. Somewhere along the way, my pride gets involved. Pride has caused the downfall of every person and every civilization since the dawn of time. That's why things fall. That's why God calls Satan uh, king over all the children of pride in Job chapter 41 and verse 34. Satan is the king of pride. That's who he is. He's a prideful, prideful person. And so God will put down the proud. He will exalt the humble. Now, we have a clear example of that in the life of Job. So go to Job chapter 41, 42, rather, if you would. If you read your bulletin on Sunday, hopefully you read your bulletin on Sunday. If you read it. You're aware we're going to start a series in the book of Job this coming Sunday. We're going to go verse by verse through the book. Now, I'm going to tell you how the book ends, because by the time we get there, most of you will have forgotten it anyway, so it's not going to be a problem. Well, Steve, Steve will have forgotten it for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Walker, but Steve, you might too. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a general, a blanket Steve statement. huh? Uh, look at Job chapter 42. Job had an issue with pride. That was part of the problem. Now, it wasn't so, so debilitating that God couldn't use him, but he had a problem with pride enough that God wanted to drive that out of him. And that was part of the reason for uh, the trial that he went through. Uh, finally, God takes care of it. Look at verse 1 of Job chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. God knows all your thoughts. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Uh, Job's pride was taken care of. <laughs> when he finally, he saw, I've heard of God, I've heard, I know about God, I've now seen God. And when I've seen him, I realize that I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Confronted by God himself, Job sees himself as he is, and the pride is gone, and the self-worth is gone, and he's down on his face before God in the dirt. Look at verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job humbled himself. And God lifted him up. There it is. There's a perfect example of what James is talking about there. When Job finally realized his pride and put himself down, God lifted him up as a result. Now, that picks up the thought we closed with last time we were in this book. And I want to say it again because I think I need to hear it again. <laughs> it is time for believers in the body of Christ to see themselves as they are. See ourselves as we are. Every person who names the name of Jesus Christ needs to see themselves as they are. It is time for us to see our wickedness as exceedingly wicked. 
and not make excuses for it. It's time for us to get on our faces before God and confess that we are nothing without him. Because sometimes we think we can do it on our own. We must come to the full realization that anything we do in our own strength and in our own wisdom counts for nothing. It's worthless. If I do it in my own strength, it is worthless. And I must come to the full realization that if I want anything in my life to count, I must do it in the power of God and to the glory of God, whatever it is. And when I do that, God will put us in a place where we never thought possible. Life will have purpose. Life will have meaning that we could only dream about if we simply get ourselves in right relationship with our maker, with our creator and with our savior. Life makes sense and life is worthwhile and life is complete when we see ourselves as God sees us so that he can lift us up. And God will resist us anytime our pride gets involved. Anytime my pride gets involved, God gets involved. (laughs) He'll step in. And God will make clear, make it clear one way or the other. Now, go back to James, if you would. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there are Old Testament commands in Scripture, and there are also New Testament commands in Scripture. And we're going to focus tonight on a New Testament command in the Word of God that's found in James chapter 4 and verse 11. I'm in Hebrews. That's not a good place to be. There we go. James chapter 4, verse 11. Here's the command, folks. Speak not evil one of another brethren that is a command that is not a suggestion god is not offering that as a possibility god says speak not evil one of another no qualification to that whatsoever he doesn't give us certain exclusions about that certain times when it's okay to do it certain times when the command doesn't apply it doesn't say we can speak evil of another believer if they offend us or if they do something to us or if they violate some one of our rules we've set up. We are not supposed to speak evil of any believer, even if they violate God's rules. We're supposed to leave our hands off. The command is very clear, though. There speak not evil one of another. And he says, brethren, there to make sure he knows he's talking to saved people. I cannot speak evil of any believer who is saved in the, in the body of Christ. I can't do it. Whether it's a family member or a spouse or a neighbor or a total stranger, if they're saved, if they're in the body of Christ, speak not evil. Is what the word of God says. Now, that word evil there has a couple of meanings. The common meaning, as you are well aware, is something that's wrong, something that's bad or immoral. But beyond that, the word evil can also refer to something that is harmful or can cause injury. Let me read your verse, Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 15. It says there, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Israel, which thou knowest upon thee. He says he calls it the diseases of Egypt, evil diseases. What he means there is those are diseases that can injure you. They can be harmful. They can have long lasting negative effects on you if if you uh, take them on. So that's another way the word evil can be used. And I think that's mostly what Paul, uh, what uh, James is talking about here when he uses that word evil. He is saying there, don't speak evil of the brethren. Don't say anything about a believer that could be harmful or have long-lasting negative effects on that person. So listen to me. What you say about that person might be true. It might be something that really happened. It might be some genuine offense. But if speaking about that thing causes harm to that person's reputation, if it changes the minds of other people about that person in a negative or harmful way, we simply don't say it. We keep it to ourselves. And so it's all about the intent behind what we say. 
if it changes the reputation, and if that's my intent, then God says, don't say it, don't do it. Now, I want to draw a fine line here with you, because I believe there's a difference between speaking evil about somebody and warning people about some danger or some unbiblical behavior that a believer is involved in. If there's a believer that is involved in some behavior that is unbiblical, if a, behavior, a believer is behaving in a way that violates not my standard, but God's standard, if they are teaching something that is not according to Scripture and leading people astray by doing that, and if there's a danger of more people being led astray as that continues, warning people about that person is a valid thing to do. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Here's an example of Paul doing this. Acts chapter 20. Look at verse 29. He's speaking here to the folks at Ephesus. He's leaving Ephesus and speaking to them before he goes. And here's what he says to them in Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. He says there's going to be some folks after I leave that are going to come in. And they're going to be wolves. They're not going to spare. They're going to try and destroy the flock. And they're going to come in and they're going to talk perverse things. And they're going to try to draw away, look what it says, draw away disciples, followers after them. They want followers, and they're going to try and draw followers to them. So what Paul's talking about there is those who will come in and do some harm to the flock in some way. And so he warns these believers in Ephesus and identifies those who will do this. He identifies their behavior and warns them, don't be pulled in by them. When they show up, get away from them. Now, is Paul speaking evil of them? Has he violated the command of James 4.11 by what he has said there? I don't think so. I don't think he has because of his intent in when he's saying it. His intent is not to speak evil of those folks, not to harm them in some way while they're trying to do, as though they're trying to do the right thing. That's not it at all. Rather, he's warning them about things that they might do that'll get to pull people in in a negative way by their teaching or by their lifestyle. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's doing there. That is very, very different, folks, from me being angry at some other believer because they offended me in some way and blasting social media or pulling other believers aside and telling them every detail of what I think they did to me and working to change some person's mind about that person solely because they've wronged me. That's entirely different than what Paul is doing in Acts chapter 20. I hope you can see the difference because the difference is there. Now, I know that the only way for us to make the difference here in ourselves is to allow the Holy Spirit of God to show us and identify our, and identify our intent. It is the responsibility of every believer to allow the Spirit of God to reveal their motives to them. So they're not violating this command in James chapter 4.11 with what they say. I know it comes very natural to the flesh for us to speak evil about others. And we do often without giving any thought to it. We simply do it because we feel justified in doing it oftentimes. But I know this. I know that if I commit myself to the Spirit's control, if I ask the Spirit to guide me with everything that I do and everything that I say... I won't be confused about what I should do or what I should say. God's Spirit will make it clear to me. And the only way that I will speak evil of somebody, like James is talking about here, is if I simply disregard the Spirit's leading and do what I want to do. And when I do that, I've violated two commands. I violate the command of James chapter 4 and verse 11. 
and I violate the command of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19 that says, quench not the Spirit. <laughs> when I say Holy Spirit of God, I don't care what you say, I need to say this. i got to get this off my chest or however we couch it. When I do that, I've quenched the Spirit of God. He's saying, Sabaka, don't do it, and I'm saying, step aside, I'm going to do it. I'm violating violate command when I do that. So I hope you're seeing this. As I've been seeing this, I've been going through this, and of course it's very convicting. James will simply not let up on the principle that our tongues and our words can do more damage than almost anything else that we can do. And I've seen it happen. I'm sure you have as well. Look at verse 11 again. We'll see it even more specifically. James 4, 11. Let's look at the rest of the verse. He says, He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, he, what he's speaking, what he's referring to is Leviticus chapter 19. Hold your hand there in James. Go to Leviticus chapter 19. I find this to be fascinating. Hopefully you will as well. Leviticus chapter 19. <clears throat> and when you get there, look at verse 16. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 16. Now, remember, folks, this is God's law. This is what he is instructing his people. This is part of the law that he's giving to them. And it says in verse 19, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt not in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Amen. Now look at that thing. Look at that thing. That is God's law recorded for all time. That's part of the law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai. And in that law, he gives specific instruction about not speaking evil about a brother or a sister. Don't you find that interesting? <laughs> I find that to be very interesting. God takes this thing so seriously that he made sure to include it in part of his written law. And I like how it says there, don't be a talebearer going up and down. <laughs> I've seen that in church, people going up and down the aisles, you know, just tail-bearing, <laughs> bearing tails. I think that's a very good image that God is giving us there. He knew exactly how it was going to go in the 21st century church. So he says, along with this ceremonial law, along with all the things about the sacrifices and the temple worship and all that, also don't bear tails about your brothers and sisters. Now, we do have two parts of the law in the Old Testament. You have the ceremonial law, as I mentioned. That's the, the law with the temple and the sacrifices and so forth. Then you have the moral law. The ceremonial law has been rescinded. We no longer have to do all that. Jesus Christ took care of all that for us. God never rescinded the moral law. God never said it's okay to kill now. It's okay to steal now. It's okay to bear false witness now because you're in the New Testament. He never said that. The moral law is still there. God feels the same way about those things now as he did when he gave them to his people way back in the, when they first started moving through the wilderness. And he hates when believers attack each other now just as much as he hated when they attacked each other back then. God hates it. God hates it. Now, the group that James is writing to, as you remember doctrinally, this group is a group that's going through the tribulation. And because that's the group he's talking to, he's recording for them the law they need to follow. These folks are required in doctrine to follow the Old Testament law in order to gain their salvation and make it to the end of the tribulation. And therefore, these folks don't speak evil one of another. Why? Because their salvation depends on it. <laughs> you 
If they break the law, they've got to take care of that thing. Otherwise, their salvation is lost. You know, I wonder how it would be if the Old Testament law applied today to our salvation. Now, again, I'm glad it doesn't. I'm not, I'm not wishing that it did. I just think, think it's interesting. There are no eternal consequences for a believer in this day and age breaking God's moral law. Confess it and it's settled. There might be consequences to it, but it's, it's settled. We can take a brother or sister apart and go to heaven like every other believer. I wonder how it would be if we had to follow that law or we wouldn't get to heaven. I wonder how much better the church would operate together. I wonder how much more we'd love each other if we knew that if we talk evil about one, some other brother or sister in Christ, we'd lose our salvation, have to kill a goat or a calf or a sheep uh, to fix that thing. Otherwise, uh, we were in danger of going to hell. My guess is believers would get along a whole lot better if their salvation rode on how they treated each other. But since it doesn't, we exercise our freedom in Christ and we violate God's commands while we do it. And we say, well, you know, I'll just confess and it's all okay. Well, it is all okay, salvation-wise. But God's not pleased. God's not pleased. God is never pleased when his law is broken. And even though he'll forgive us for it, uh, there are consequences to that. So the verse in James is a good reminder to us, folks. You you and I are still responsible to keep God's moral law. That's what he expects. And God's blessings to us are tied to our faithfully. We abide by the standards that God has set for us. And I need to be reminded of that every time I have the urge to speak evil about some other brother or sister in Christ. I need to be reminded, look, God says don't do it, and God will, says he hates the fact that you do do it. And if you're under the law, he would take your salvation from you for doing it. <laughs> now, notice what he says there in verse 11 again. He says, because that's part of the law, if I speak evil of another brother or sister, what I am doing is I'm speaking evil of the law. He says, if I do that, I'm judging the law. If the law says one thing and I violate that law, what am I doing? In essence, what I'm saying is that part of the law is unnecessary. That part of the law doesn't apply to me. That part of the law doesn't apply to my situation. I can go against that thing because that part of the law is really not needed. That part of the law is really unfounded. Now, I wonder if God was standing there, if we would say that to him. Lord, I spoke evil of my brother or my sister because as far as I was concerned, that part of the law is sort of nonsense. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's really unnecessary. How many of you would do that? Didn't think so. (laughs) And I wasn't putting my hand up. I was just checking. (laughs) No believer would stand at the judgment and tell God, you know what? I didn't abide by that part of the law because it just seemed like nonsense to me. It It just didn't make sense to me. I just didn't see the need to do it. Every time we speak evil of a brother or sister in Christ, it's as though we are standing before God and telling God that that part of the law is nonsense. Now, if we would ever think about doing that to his face, why would we do it to him in our behavior? (laughs) It's kind of the same thing, you know. So I'm going to make a a very obvious statement to you. These These are things I'm good at. I'm good at making simple statements. It is not a wise thing to confront God about his law and tell him it's nonsense. (laughs) That is not a smart thing to do. I would advise not doing that. And so verse 12 sums it all up. Look at verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? One lawgiver. Sabacus terminology. God makes the laws and I don't. (laughs) No matter what we're talking about. God makes the laws. He's the one. God makes the laws. I am simply required to follow the law that he makes. 
He doesn't ask my opinion. He's not looking for me to revise them. He has no interest in my interpretation of them. His approach is, here's the law, follow it. Here's the standard, go by it. I just expect you to do it because you're my child. And anytime I don't do that, I put myself at odds with God. I'm on the other side of him. I'm having a war with God at that moment. And notice when I do that, he is able to save and to destroy. <laughs> God says, you know, if you push me too far, I'm going to show you how I deal with these situations. God makes the laws. I'm required to follow those laws. And I don't take any chances of violating a law because God's the one who's the final judge. I want to point this out to you one more time, how strongly God feels about us attacking each other. God feels so strongly about that, having no part in the life of a believer, that he put it into his written law. I don't think we get the whole uh, concept sometimes. We talk about some other believer, what we're doing when we do it. And those who are out there doing that and seem to feel fine doing it, justify it any way they want to, I don't think they get what they're really doing. I don't think they could, if they're sensitive to the Spirit of God, that they could continue to do it if they really realized what they were doing. I'm hoping that for all of us, no matter where we are or who we're with, we will watch our words carefully when it comes to speaking about other people in the body of Christ. My, would it be a blessed day if we're just happy with each other and not talking about each other. And praise God, it's not a big problem in this church. I'm, I'm really, really pleased by that. But even at that, it happens from time to time. Unless we have a legitimate concern about some other believer's behavior, unless they're doing something to lead other believers astray, based not on my personal values, but upon a God's standard, I simply need to stay quiet about it and let God deal with it. If there's a problem there, let him take care of it. We should never speak about any other believer in Christ because we have some personal vendetta against them, because they wronged us in some way or perceived that they wronged us in some way. No matter what is going on with that other believer, God says, speak evil of no believer, and if you speak evil of them, you have broken my written law by doing that. And I am here to save, and I am here to destroy. Now, what we're really saying, we'll get more into this next week. When I choose to do that, when I choose to say, you know what, Lord, that law is not really doesn't really apply to my situation. When I do that, what I'm really saying is, I'm the one who's in control of this thing. I'll take control, God. You can step aside. I've got this thing handled. I know exactly what to do. <laughs> and if I violate your law, I'm sorry, that part of the law doesn't apply to me right now. What I'm saying is, I make the rules, and God doesn't make the rules. And what I'm saying is, I have the right to supersede God's law if I see a need to do it. Now, what you're going to see next week when we get into the rest of this chapter, uh, James has a very clear illustration for us as to how that looks if we choose to uh, assume we have that kind of control. Here's how I want to close. It is the wise believer who realizes early in their walk with the Lord that he is in control and they aren't. You will save yourself so much difficulty. You will save yourself so many problems. You will save yourself so much uh, angst. You will have such a great peace if you simply realize that God is in control and you aren't. I've told you this before, and I'm very, very serious when I say it. When I get in control, I mess it up royally. It may go okay for a while, but if I stay in control for very long, I mess things up. Because my old sin nature can't manage it for very long. It works so much better when I simply allow God to stay in control. One of the things I'm so pleased about with this move that God has put us on, uh, you know, I've told you this many, many times, I don't think it's anything about a new building. I don't think that was ever the point from the very beginning. (laughs) I think it was all about putting God in control and just letting him work and watch what he does. 
And I think we have seen God in marvelous ways operate because we simply took our hands off it and said, Lord, whatever you want. We're pleased to stay here. We're pleased to go somewhere else. You just do what you want to do. And God will give you opportunities like that. He'll put choices before you. And the choice is nothing more than an opportunity for you to say, Lord, you're in charge. And God blesses that when we do that. The best way for life to go is to put God in charge. Otherwise, we have conflict after conflict after conflict. And conflicts with God, he'll never win. He wins them all. It's best for him to be in control and for us just to stay out of the way and watch what he does. (laughs) Stand if you would.